Welcome to the She Built This podcast, where we are sharing the stories of professionals and entrepreneurs creating the new norm by following their dreams and making them a reality. I'm Emily Aborn, and along with my co-host, Crystal Farley, we are here to give you the roadmap to success and the tools you need to build whatever this means for you. Happy Wednesday, Crystal. How are you? I love Wednesdays. Me too. Oh, I just remembered that we're recording this on a Tuesday, and I said it was Wednesday, and then I got all confused. But it's still podcasting day. Yes, yes. That's why I love Wednesdays, too. Yes. Um, And, you know, it's like the week is almost over. The weekend's almost here. Did it. Job well done. Woohoo! All the things. Um, So right now, I am doing in the She Built This Facebook group, a side group, which is a meditation challenge. And it's 60 days of mindfulness and meditation. I'm kind of letting people like take it any way they want to go. So if somebody is wanting to work on journaling or free writing or gratitude, they can take that for the 60 days. Some people are doing meditations. We're having people do um, Facebook Lives where they're sharing meditations and practices. It's going so awesome. We have like 37 people in the group participating. And I think what I'm really learning from it, I, as you know, I think am kind of like a higher stress individual. So yeah, it's not, it's not even like, I understand life. I understand that I don't have more stress than other people. It's just that is easy for me to become stressed out and overwhelmed. So what I've been really, really trying to work on is reframing things for myself and just steering the ship a different way. If something feels like it's stressful or overwhelming, trying to take a step back, bird's eye view, and reframing it. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. That's a big deal. Yeah. And the reason I bring it up is because, of course, as I always do, it has to do with today's guest. Um, Karen Kenny is the master of reframing. She is a writer, speaker, and founder of Fearless Flow Mentoring. She's a certified spiritual mentor. She's been a student and guide of A Course in Miracles for 26 years and or longer and longer, and a longtime practitioner of passage meditation. She's also a gateless writing teacher, which I want to get into, and has been a yoga teacher since 2001. She's a sought-after expert and spiritual thought leader for live events, podcasts, coaching programs, and shows, and she speaks across the country and leads transformational retreats in the New England area, including the Omega Institute in New York. She is also the host of her own podcast, The Karen Kenny Show, and the Sunday Spiritual with Karen Kenny. And currently, she's working on writing a memoir. Welcome to the show, Karen. Hey, you guys. I'm wicked excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm so proud of myself for staying quiet during all of the intro stuff. I was like, just shut your big fat mouth, Kenny. Don't say anything. I was waiting for you to interrupt. (laughs) I was really hoping. We gave her strict instructions at the beginning of the show not to speak until spoken to. And she behaved myself and I'm victory is mine. I was victorious. I'm pretty excited about that. Good job. I'm really happy to be here. I love what you guys are up to in the world. We have a lot of mutual friends. I keep an eye on what you're up to. I wanted to go to this past event that you had like a month or so ago, but I couldn't make my schedule work with your schedule, but I wanted to be there. So I just, I just love the whole vibe of she built this and the empowerment that you're giving to women. And 
Yeah, so I'm down for this. I've been excited and looking forward to this uh, this time to chat together. Thank you. We are also wicked excited. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm in love with you. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep talking. Okay, okay. I love your accent, truly. Um, Thank so, you so much. So That's good. Tell us a little bit about uh, where you're from, where you grew up, and how you got into doing what you do now. Yeah, so I always try to do like the Cliff Notes version of this, but I grew up in Lawrence, Mass., which is like 30 miles, little, little uh, mill town, immigrant city, 30 miles north of Boston, right on the Merrimack River. And so I lived there um, until I was about 17. Then I went off to BU. I went to Boston University and I lived in Boston for about five or six years. Uh, and then I headed off to LA. And now I'm back. I've been back on the East Coast now for like 20 years. Um, but even though I li- I've lived in New Hampshire for like 20 years, but and I no disrespect to the live free or die people. Uh, I love, you know, great, great motto. I, I, I've just never on some level fully claimed, like if somebody says, where are you from? I'm always like, I'm a masshole. Like I'm from Massachusetts. <laughs> so even though I live in New Hampshire, I still have a, a, a really uh, super soft spot for my, for my hometown. I'm proud of where I came from. Um, and I really feel like where you come from totally shapes you. And um, so I've always wanted to, like so much of what I do and so much of who I am is a nod to uh, to the city, to, 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 law, to law town, as we call it sometimes. <laughs> so, so what happened is how I became a spiritual mentor. Like if you would have told me when I was a kid that I was going to be a spiritual mentor or a yoga teacher, like the writing thing is totally on point. I've loved books and words and great stories ever since I was like a little, little kid. Um, but all I really wanted to be when I was a little kid, like if I could have had one gig in the whole world, it would have been Dr. Doolittle. Like I just wanted to be able to talk to the animals. <laughs> like that's it. I still do. Like that's, if you said like, okay, you can get paid to do anything. I'd be like, I want to be Dr. Doolittle like a hundred percent. But when I was a kid, like it was a really volatile childhood, like who didn't have it? Like some every once in a while. And it's so funny that we're both wearing unicorn sweaters, Crystal, because every <laughs> once in a while I'll meet somebody who was like, I had a really happy childhood. My parents are like still married and I'm friends with my siblings. And I'm like, you're a unicorn. Like that to me is amazing. So like most people had a tough childhood, you know, and my childhood was peppered with very difficult things. Um, my parents, my, my biological father and my mom got divorced when I was like two, you know, they got married when they were like 18, like something ridiculous. My mother had um, my sister when she was like 19 and I'm like a year and a half older. So she had me when she was 20. So it was like babies having babies, you know, that generation back then. And so they got divorced when I was like two. And then my stepdad came on the scene and my mom and my, my stepdad, who I consider my dad, um, you know, they were young, they were beautiful, they were wicked smart in some ways and totally not responsible and stupid in other ways, had no communication skills. So like we grew up in a war zone, they were constantly fighting. There was always, like you never really felt totally um, safe because you never knew if my father was going to leave and like the fighting and it was just like wicked intense. And my mother was like, I always say my mother was like the sun to my universe. That's how I always describe her. She was the compass that I used to navigate the world. And she was the one safe place. Like she was the the person who saw me and got me and understood me and, you know, told me I could be anything and do anything. And she just loved the shit out of me and like, just made me feel like, so like cozy, (laughs) you know, like I don't have kids, but people talk about when they swaddle their children so that they learn how to be soothed. Like my mother was just like the walking embodiment of like soothing for me. (laughs) So uh, I just loved her to death. And so my parents were constantly getting uh, separated and stuff like that. And during one of these times of separation, my father was living somewhere else. He was living at my auntie Mo's house and he was already dating somebody new. 
And my mother went out one night and she just never came home. And that was totally, totally unlike her. And I always say to people, if you you know want the longer version, you can you know read the book eventually when it comes out. But the short story was my mother went missing and um, nobody had heard from her. And it was totally unlike her to miss her appointment. She was an insurance underwriter. Um, and my mom was just like 33 years old. She was a baby. And um, come to find out, my dad, we hadn't seen my dad in a few months. And then he just kind of showed up at the house later that day. I had gone to school. My sister stayed home. When I got home from school, still nobody had heard from her. And then my father showed up out of the blue and we hadn't seen him. And he literally just said, like, told us to sit down. And he said, you know, after about a minute of dead silence, of not looking at us, he finally just kind of looked up and said, I'm just going to tell you, your mother is dead. And so I read in the newspaper a few, like uh, probably about, you know, a half hour later after he told us the news, I read in the newspaper that a woman's body had been found with the head mutilated. My mother had been murdered. She had been violently and brutally beaten to death. And life was never the same after that. Like life was just never the same and everything blew apart. And my sister and I had to end up go living with an aunt and uncle that we didn't know. And I, it was like moving in with strangers and I lived with them for like four years. And then I went off to college. So from like 17 on, I was on my own. And the reason why I tell all of this backstory is because it makes sense. It plugs into why I do the work that I do now, which is I first and foremost became a yoga teacher. I've always been a writer. I've always been a storyteller. That's just like in the DNA. Um, and I grew up around really great storytellers. So I kind of just learned how to tell great stories from a cast of characters that were all like out of their minds, like really good storytellers, but mental. And so um, I ended up becoming a yoga teacher and the whole foundation of yoga is nonviolence. It's ahimsa. So no, no, it's not that complicated to go, oh yeah, a kid with a dead murdered mother would really find Ahimsa appealing. It's also one of the reasons why I'm vegan. I've been vegan for 17 plus years because I never want to be, I never want to participate in the murder, abuse, rape, or suffering of another being. And my mom was found half naked from the waist down. So it's obvious that he was trying to oh do gosh, something Karen. to her, probably rape her. So um, and so I became a yoga teacher, which just gradually and inevitably led into uh, me becoming a spiritual mentor. And I'm a certified spiritual mentor. I've been doing this work for, I did it for many, many, many years before I ever started getting paid for it. <laughs> and then one of my spiritual mentors said to me, it's an imbalance. Like you can't do that. They have to get some skin in the game. You can't keep just giving it away because you're going to deplete yourself and it's not actually how it works right? Spiritually, even like so many people think that, oh, because you're spiritual, you're supposed to just give it away. It doesn't work that way. Money is just an energy exchange. It's just another form of exchange. So if you're giving somebody knowledge, like hard earned knowledge, you know, and if you put in the time and the money and the training, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work if you don't get, you know, like I said, have, have them get some skin in the game and put their money where their mouth is. And so now I've just been a spiritual mentor like full time for the last seven ish years, something like that six, seven years maybe. And, um, and I know wicked long answer, but that's kind of how it goes. As soon as you ask me a question, it'll go, it'll just come out. And so that's what I've been doing. I'm also working on a memoir. I do retreats. I do all this stuff, but really here's the bottom line. Like this kind of sums it up. You know, there's that saying, like you said, the reframer, I flip the script on everything. That's what I love to do is I would say, I don't tell people what to think, but I invite them to think differently, to know that there's a different way to change their perception. So there's a saying like hurt people hurt people. And I always say, well, happy people tend not to hurt people. And of course in miracles says your natural inheritance is peace and happiness. So I work with people who have had like more than their fair share often, but I just basically work with people who have had some wicked hard shit happen to them. And whether that's a murdered parent, 
rape, incest, like betray. Like I work with people who have big major stuff going on, self-loathing, can't forgive themselves, can't forgive a slow burn where you can't forgive somebody. You keep trying and it's ruining your life in a lot of ways, sucking the joy out of your life. And so I help people who have gone through wicked hard stuff to live a life like nothing bad has ever happened. So we basically use a system that I call your story to your glory to help people rewrite their stories, to go out into the world and live it in a new way with the help of what I call your spiritual team and to start to live in uh, the fearless flow of your life where you have freedom and confidence and courage and a deep connection to the divine or God or source or spirit, whatever you want to call it. I call it God, but I don't get hung up on the name. So that's the wicked long answer to your very short question. So I hope that's helpful. <laughs> it totally is. I think, and thank you, that you're, you sharing your story is just, I mean, there's tears in my eyes. Yeah, so I'm sure too. that it's, you know, our listeners are feeling the same. So thank, thank you, you for sweetheart. sharing your hardships. But you said a lot. Um, and it's, you know, I don't like, don't even know where to begin. But I think that, you know, Something that I'd love to for you to share is obviously you went through a huge, a, a series of traumatic events, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, yes, the murder was traumatic, but there was a lot of other trauma that happened before that, right? And yes. so you had this period, so, so you had a period of time after your mother was murdered where you had to, did you, how did you handle that? Like, what were your steps to getting through that and figuring out what your, you know, what the next step in the right direction was? Well, I mean, there was, you know, I grew up, I grew up in a family where it was like, there was no, uh, there was no forgiveness, right? It was like an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth that we were the kind of people. So like, I'm an Irish kid who was raised like my stepdad, the side of the family were Italian and Portuguese, right? Wow. So I, I was raised by like these hardcore, like, Hey, my uncle Manny always looked like he was like in the mafia. Like everybody, like my uncle Manny, here's the, here's the family I came from. Right? My uncle Manny got a tattoo of an eye on his shoulder, uh, on the back of his like shoulder blade when he was like in his forties. And one day we were over at his house and I was like, Uncle Manny, what's with the tattoo? And he's like, that's so I can see the bastards when they try to stab me in the back. Like, oh that's my. like, <laughs> I can see them coming. I can see the bastards coming when they try to stab me in the back, you know? And so like, it was always like this hardcore like family. So there was no talk. There was not a, not a lot of, I always say it like this. There was not a lot of tenderness in my childhood. There was not a lot of mercy. Like if somebody came for you, you were going for them twice as hard. Like you hit me, I will knock you on your, like it, there was, it was not like, okay, um, Patty is dead. What do the kids need? Like it was not that. And back then there weren't counselors. Like now they have like trained trauma specialists who are sent to the scene of a crime or sent to a family when something brutal happens. Back then there's no manual. What do you do with a dead murdered mother? Like, what do you tell the kids? And, and my poor dad, like, you know, I tell that story and the way he delivered the news was brutal, but it wasn't until many, 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 many years later uh, like 20 or some odd years later when I started doing research for the memoir because, um, you know, after my mother was killed, even though it was like on the news and on the TV and the radio and in the papers because there was a big murder trial, like the whole thing, we weren't allowed to see anything. So it was like my mother literally, literally like, boom, disappeared overnight and then nobody talked about it. It was like she of who we shall not name, right? She of who we shall not speak. And so it was so bizarre when the light of your life just like goes and you're just like, what am I doing? So like when you talk about like, oh, like what are the steps? Like 
like, I'm just going to be honest. There were no steps. There was nobody guiding me. I had no idea what to do with my trauma. I knew that my dad, um, my mother was the light of my life, but I worshiped my dad. Um, it was mostly a worship of fear and awe rather than like, I, I mean, you had to respect them because you, you know, you'd get knocked around in some way. <laughs> you'd like poke you or put you in the wall or like, like it was just intense, man, <laughs> like growing up. And I always say he was an unintentional teacher. You know, he taught me like, thank God on some level that he didn't allow for a lot of weakness because in his own way. I don't think in a, in a conscious way, I just think it worked out this way in his own way. He was preparing me for what was to come. And so I was a very tough kid. And like I said, to finish my point in fairness, when my dad gave us that new, I did not know this to many years later, he had just come from the morgue and identifying her body. Oh my goodness. So I think he was in a state of shock probably too, you know what I mean? In fairness. Um, and so the steps really were this. I just suffered for a fucking long time. I suffered for a long time. I developed irritable bowel syndrome. I, um, you know, I, I got drunk for the first time when I was 12. Thank God, knock on wood, I never had an addiction gene. So I could mess around with a lot of things and not get hooked. Like, right, I had tried my first cigarette when I was like eight. I was smoking full time by the time I was like 14, you know, and I started drinking at a young age. I started doing drugs at a young age. Um, I was doing everything. I, I poured myself into books. Books saved me. Stephen King's on my spiritual team because Stephen King saved me <laughs> by writing books where uh, on some level I felt seen and heard and could escape into these worlds. And so um, eventually what happens this is what I always say to my clients. I say suffering is a, a really good teacher until you find a better teacher. So for me, I learned a lot from my suffering so much. I think that the, the key thing that my suffering taught me was how to be deeply compassionate towards other beings and other people's suffering, because I knew what it felt to feel misunderstood, unseen, unheard, unloved, not good enough, not like I felt like an orphan in many ways because my dad didn't want us. My biological father couldn't take care of us. You know, I, like everything that was familiar just kind of blew apart. So really what it was is that. Um, I tell this story about, so I was a Catholic kid. I was raised Catholic and shortly after my, so I, you know, I had been baptized, did my first communion, all the steps that you do. I don't know if you guys are Catholic kids, but if you, you you'll recognize sure are. What I'm about. Yeah. Uh, my confirmation, the whole thing. And so we used to have to go to confession, right? That's what Catholic kids do. And so we went to confession one day and I'll do the wicked short version of this. But when you go into confession, you basically say like, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. And then you list all the, the, the stuff you did that you've gotten in trouble for. And I, sometimes I would make shit up. Sometimes I was like, whatever, just to get out of the booth, right? I did the thing and then get out. But one of the times I went in there and at the end, just after admitting why you're a sinner, which that's a whole other story for another day. But after I went in there, you're supposed to say your act of contrition. And I forgot my act of contrition. And my sister was sitting in the pew right outside the creepy little box that you have to go in like a fucking spy where they're like, shh. And he, the dude's just sitting behind the screen and you can kind of see him and it's all like mysterious and dark and just creepy. You're like, what is happening? Why am I confessing to this guy in a box? And so all of a sudden I didn't forget, I forgot my aunt's contrition and the guy like yelled at me. Now this guy didn't know I was a kid who recently had a murdered mother and that I was in shock still. And I was just like, I didn't forget because I wanted to, right? I'm going to, it's going to make sense in a minute while I'm telling you the story. So I come out of the box and I just knew it. My sister was sitting there with a shit eating grin on her face. She loved that I just got torn into, you know, and I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed and I was so ashamed and I was already in so much pain. So my punishment was do this many Hail Marys in front of the church, whatever. 
So I go up and I kneel down. And of course, the Catholics love to put the big dead Jesus, the suffering Jesus right in the front of the church, you know. So I'm looking around and I see this little statue of Mary, like holding the baby. And I, I talk and I just I look up at Jesus and I'm basically like, look, I'm not doing this shit anymore. If we're going to have a relationship, God, <laughs> mano y mano, mano y womano, like we're we're doing this one to one. No more middlemen. So it was a really, at a very young age, at like 13 years old, I just decided that I was not going to let another being on some level outside of me make me feel that way. Like, and make, you know, I just, I was like, so I went, started going right to the source. So one of the greatest gifts I always say is my mother's absence left a lot of room for God. It left a lot of room for mystery and wonder and spirit. And I started asking the very big questions that a lot of people don't start asking to like their 30s, 40s, 50s, when their mortality is kind of like waggling in their face and they're getting nervous. They're like, why are we here? And why does this happen? And what is this world? And, you know, I started asking all those questions really at a younger age because the died, the world that already felt unsafe to me was definitely proven now to me to be unsafe. And I was just looking around for it, like, oh my God, like, I changed how I looked at men, sex, power, God, the world, like everything shifted. So I was having a lot of deep and internal question asking, and I wasn't getting any answers from the adults around me or from my quote unquote religion, et cetera. So the first thing that I did, because I couldn't, I didn't have any money. I was a poor kid. So I had no money to hire mentors and coaches and mentors and coaches didn't exist back then. I'm 51. So we're talking like 1981 right all through like until I went to California, like 1991, there weren't coaches and stuff, but I was lucky enough to land in LA at the time when the self-help revolution started happening. So Marianne Williamson came out with the return to love. Oprah was on the air, Wayne Dyer, Deepak Chopra, all the big ones. So what I couldn't get in teachers, I got in books. And so I would go to the bookstore and I would go through the self-help section and miraculously one day in a bookstore, this book, A Return to Love, fell off the shelf and changed my life. And this book, Return to Love from Marianne Williamson, was the gateway drug to A Course in Miracles, which I've been a student of for 26 years, which totally changed my life. So the first step was I had to be in enough pain that I wanted to change. Then I had to be curious enough to start to ask the questions like, well, there must be a different way. What might that look like? Then I got books until I could get people. And then Marianne eventually through a series of events became my personal, she became like my spiritual mom. I lived with her and worked with her. She took me under her wing and we're still, you know, we're still close to this day. So like, that's kind of how it went. Pain, suffering, willingness to let go of my story, chance to read my story with a new perspective, right? Flipping the script or like you were saying, like changing, uh, you know, changing the perspective or whatever, uh, rewriting the story. And then I started going out and living it. And I, I just come from a place where I feel like, and I'm going to shut up in a minute, I swear to God. But I feel like if you're lucky enough to catch the elevator to the top or to a higher floor, you better send that sucker back down for the other people who need it. So if you have some wisdom or some that are helpful for your brothers and sisters, it is on you to 
help and to not be greedy and to hold on to it, you know, to be superior. It's like, no, you're brothers and sisters, man. If you learn something, let's send it back down. And that's what I do. And not down like they're beneath me. It's just the metaphor. You get what I'm saying? Just send it back, extend a hand back. And um, so I hope that I hope that answered the question. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious about this. So you, you're obviously well-versed in, in your work and how you help your clients. How did you kind of move into, okay, now I'm going to make a business of this. And where did you find those clients? And then, I mean, you're very successful now as I see it. Um, so how did that kind of start happening for you? When I decided to close my yoga studio, I had a yoga studio for 10 years. And when I decided to close my studio, I have never done anything. I still, to this day, after 20 years of being an entrepreneur, and let me just say it this way. I am an accidental entrepreneur. I am not a serial entrepreneur. I'm not even a person who really um, identifies as an entrepreneur. <laughs> I am an accidental entrepreneur, probably mostly because I don't like other people telling me what to do. I, I've always just kind of liked to, to do things my own way, whether that's a problem with authority or whatever the thing is. I just like to do things the way that I want to do them. So when I closed my yoga studio, there wasn't like this great plan. I had one spiritual mentoring client uh, and I just take leaps of faith all the time because that's how it's always been. It's not like things fall in my lap, but it's like opportunities present themselves and my spiritual team is kind of like always on the job. And so what I just do is I was like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. And I know it because every cell in my body gets contracted and tight. Like I get angry, like I get upset, like I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm like, do something else. And so like, all right. But I was just doing like one-offs. Like I would meet somebody for like 200 bucks for like an hour or whatever. And I was like, this isn't sustainable. So a couple of years back, a few years back, I finally, for the first time, got a business mentor. Like I joined a business mentor program. So I was just kind of like coasting along. I still was doing a few yoga classes here and there. I was doing all these workshops. And so I kind of I kind of had a built-in audience in that I had yoga students, students for like 15, 18 years. But at some point I realized that's not going to be sustainable. And so I went to, um, I paid a lot of money to get some help. <laughs> I was like, I've taken this as far as I can. And so I, um, I signed up, enrolled in a two-year coaching program. And they really helped me to start to figure out like, oh, I can actually make money by just being myself. That I could break all the rules of marketing. I almost never sell. Right. I, I'm, I'm kind of like and I'm actually doing a whole thing about this in January. How what I often hear is what one of the things that people often say about me is you're, you're the best kept secret in New Hampshire. And I'm like, OK, that's awesome. But it doesn't really help me. <laughs> like, it's awesome. But the work that I do is not the kind of work where like people are going to go online. I'm not a business and branding coach. I'm not a strategy coach. I'm not a life coach. I'm a spiritual mentor working with people who've had really hard things, personal things, sacred things, right? So they're not like online, like hashtag spiritual mentor, hashtag over it, hashtag cured by grief. Like it's not like this big thing. It's not like people are out there shouting about me. So my name gets passed around and always has more like word of mouth. So if one of my clients meets somebody who's struggling or the podcast helps, right? So it's been these little steps. To just because here's always been my goal. I joined this big like um, business coaching program, and it's all this funneling 
and marketing and do quizzes and fucking grow your list and do this. And that stuff makes me want to shove this pen right in my eyeball. Like, I just want to like, ah, ah, like I have no, I'm just like, (laughs) so I just said to them, I literally, this was it. I said to them, I just need you guys to help me figure out how I can just make money by being myself. (laughs) So that was my homework. Like everybody else was like, I'm doing a challenge and a five day challenge to grow my Facebook group. I'm doing a webinar. I'm like, literally there were like a thousand, there's a huge marketing book we got. And I went through it. I was like, not, I was like networking. No. Um, speaking on doing this. No. Uh, I'm like, Oh, I can talk. Ooh, I love being on podcasts. Like this is a blast. I love this. Right. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. Oh, I'll start my own podcast. I'll do that. I'd been wanting to do that for a long time anyways. So then like going into the second year, this was like the hardcore year where you really focus personally on your own book, your own like thing. So, um, and I said, oh, I was like, look, Bill Barron was like my coach. I said, Bill, my homework for this past year was to go out in public and be myself. That's literally my marketing strategy. Go out in public (laughs) and be yourself. And I said, but dude, it's like year two. I got to step it up. And he goes, all right, you want new homework? And I go, yeah. He goes, okay, go out in public and be yourself on bigger stages. I kind of like this. Like, I like that you have an out of the box approach to marketing and it's working for you. I think this is really good for some people to hear because we do, we all think we need funnels and quizzes and challenges and grow your group, grow your membership, do things this way, put yourself on social media this way. And you're just bucking that trend. Yeah. I think the other really cool thing (laughs) is too, is like you're super niche, right? So you're the best kept secret in New Hampshire, but you are doing something and talking about something that a very specific group of people will want and need and word of mouth is the power. Like that is referral. You don't have to, you know, be in a networking group to get referrals. Right. So I am so excited to hear how your year two went. Yeah. How, how, what your year two went. So you found bigger stages. So Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think what it is, is that it's all a game. Let's, I mean, even this world, this world is like a big illusion. So in A Course in Miracles, we call it the dream. And in yoga, we call it Maya, the illusion. So I'm just here in the illusion playing the game, right? But I'm always like, I'm going to play it my way. I'm not going to do it the way people tell me I have to do it. So this concept of like bucking the system, it's not even that I'm like, you know, oh, I'm a rebel badass woman business owner. It's not even that. I just naturally want to do what I want to do. If it's not, if it, look, if the spiritual, if it doesn't feel in alignment, if it doesn't feel genuine and authentic, I'm not going to do it. I don't care how many followers. If I feel like I'm whoring myself out to get numbers, that just feels gross to me. Like I don't want to do anything that feels inauthentic to me. So year two, like, yeah, like here's, here's my business plan. Now I only see one-to-one clients. I do two retreats a year sometimes up to three or four total events. I usually have like two speaking gigs, two of two retreats, two three-day retreats, one one-day retreat. So going into 2020, all I basically have is I'm just doing one-to-one clients so I can finish my book. I have two three-day retreats, one in May, one in November, and I have one one-day retreat in April and in, in March, in April in Maine, in Maine. That's it. Like that's all I've got on the calendar right now. And then your podcast. And, so, and my yeah, my yeah. weekly podcast. And look, I don't have it 
totally figured out yet. You know, um, I only work with a very small group of people, but it's an investment to work for, with me. So I'm like, you know, it's an investment because you're getting like 50 years of like, it's like, you know, like a lot of experience and, and I work very intensely with you. Like a lot of people in their coaching programs, it's like a six month coaching program and they'll talk to you personally once. Like in my program, the three month program, I talk to you six times plus every other week on biweekly group calls. So you're getting a lot of KK, you're getting a lot of personal time because this work needs it. I because literally, you're right. Your mind, you're so right, Karen. I literally just met a woman who was so disappointed that she spent nearly $5,000 on a six month coaching program where she only had one group session with the, the person that was running it. And everything else was all like just webinars and things. And she was yeah, so bummed. Yeah. yeah. If yeah, I hire a coach, drag. I want them to roll up their sleeves yeah, dirty. and say, let's right. get in this. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah, when it comes and to I healing. Do. Yeah. So, yeah. And that I believe, especially with this kind of work, that's what it takes. So it's a premium, right? It's a premium price because I'm focused like on you, like in your stuff, in the overcoming of it. Like Helen Keller has this beautiful quote where she says, like, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but she says basically, you know, the world is full of, 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 of a lot of suffering and it's also full of the overcoming of it. And that's the work that I do is to help people to understand that no matter what happened to you, your happiness and your inner peace is not dependent on your circumstances. It's all a choice. So to retrain a mind that has believed a particular belief for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, Dude, you talk about, like you said, rolling up the sleeves and getting in there. This is hardcore, deep devotional work. And it's like, I'm, I'm walking with you, right? And the heartbeat of Fearless Flow comes from like these three quotes, which is first one from A Course in Miracles. And it says, if you knew who walked beside you on this way you have chosen, fear would be impossible. And then the second one comes from uh, Ricard Matthew, who is a, uh, a Buddhist teacher. And it's, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically says, genuine fearlessness arises from the knowing that you have the inner resources to handle whatever life deals to you. And then the last one comes from my writing mentor, Andre Debus III. And he, he claims it comes from a Chinese proverb, but I've, I've tried to find it. And he's the only one I can find it attributed to. So I say it's from him. And it says, if the mad dog comes at you, whistle for him. Oh, fun. I love that. <laughs> so I, I chills now. Mm-hmm. What's unfolding in their life, no matter what comes up, you can move to the world fearlessly because you know you're not walking alone. You have the divine, you have your spiritual team. And if I'm your mentor, you have me. And I don't let people get away with shit. Like I'm the mentor who in the most loving way in compassionate way is going to say the thing that other people are afraid to say and says the thing that needs to be said for you to get down to the business of forgiveness and healing because forgiveness is the key to happiness. And what most people just don't want to admit is they just don't want to forgive. That's why they're still stuck. (laughs) So like we really, really, really get in there, but look, it's not like I'm making a million dollars because you said something earlier, Emily, that caught me and you said, Oh, you're really successful. Oh, I I stopped and I thought to myself by who, no, by whose standard? Because I've got, I've got quote unquote, a lot of coaches that I know who are like six figure yeah, in this month, a month and blah, 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 blah. and I'm like, yeah, but like, are you happy? <laughs> right. I don't care how much money you have. If you're suffering on the inside and you're a crazy person on the inside and you're not actually, you resent your clients because you have to hustle so much to keep that house or that car or that business. Like, 
to me, like success is really just like, oh, I like that somebody's phone's going off right now. Success is really to me at like, am I happy? Do I love what I do? Do I wake up in the morning and have peace in my heart and my mind? Am I like excited and enthusiastic about the work that I'm doing? So success for me is, do I have a lot of free time to create, to be with my sweetie, to do the shit that I really want to do? So, um, you know, it's not like, I don't think I'm going to coach forever. Like I want to move into the realm where I'm mostly like writing books and, and speaking and, you know, have a few select clients. But if I could have like 10 high-end clients for the year, that would be great. And that's the direction that I'm moving in. And the last thing I want to say is something else that you said that I want to just kind of touch on is you both said, well, you're like super niche, right? Like you're like super niche. And in a way, actually, I'm not. I have never chosen my ideal avatar. I'm like, you know who my people are? I'm like, they're the island of misfit toys. They're the people that have suffered a lot. They're the people who have never felt like they fit in. They're the weirdos. They're the outcasts. They're like whatever. And I'm like, that's pretty much everybody. I work with people who have had some hard shit happen to them. That's pretty much everybody I know. Right. But to, <laughs> so, but to, but to that point, though, it's niche in that there's only uh, there's a small population that's open to talking about it. Oh, yes. And right. yes. And there are not a lot of people doing what you're doing. Right. Because it's hard to talk about these things. Um, and I do want to say I'm not like trying to. <laughs> I perceive you as successful. And I think I perceive you as successful because you give me that impression by being happy, by being present. Oh, yes. But, yeah. By that means, yes. By I that don't means, care about numbers I either. <laughs> I hear we you. talk about that all the time, though, as you know, especially female entrepreneurs, our, we always have these really high standards and expectations for ourselves. Yes. Right. But when you say I can define what success means, changes the game. Right. So success I think to it's me true. is this. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And I think it's really important that people get wicked clear about what does that mean for you to be successful? Not judged by the standard that everybody else is telling us. And like, God bless him. Like, I, I think Gary Vee is a hot shit. Like, I love Gary, but like, I don't agree with a hundred pieces of content a day and show everybody like this and do this and hustle, hustle, hustle. And I always say, hey, my holiness is more important to me than my hustle. So I don't want to be like killing myself, <laughs> you know, to be making a buck and then be unhappy get to the, you know, people on their deathbed, people at the end of their life never regret. They never say, I wish I worked more. I wish I made more money. They wish that their life was more meaningful. And so I want to circle back to what you just said. Like, yes, you are totally right that I am super niche in the amount, the, 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 the number of people who are ready to do this level of deep work, who are ready to talk about the difficult things and to not just talk about them, but they're willing to transform them who are ready to let go of the story so that they can have the glory like that's a little bit like yeah that's a little bit super that's why like right now I have like seven clients so I'm going to be opening up the door I just came back from retreat I'm like two days back from my um, my November retreat and so I'm gonna you know open up the doors invite anybody who might be in want to come in to work with me and then in January like you know they call it a launch I just I'm like no I'm just gonna start talking about mentoring and saying hey it's January let's let's like have 2020 in the new decade be like amazing and let's cut the shit and let's go let's do this right like who's brave enough to say yes like let's go do this so it's not even like I don't even use that language like oh I'm gonna do a launch I'm just like no I'm just gonna invite some people to like come work with me like who's ready let's do this right um, so yeah, and I get really excited about it. I don't, there's nothing I love more than helping people to end their suffering. Yeah. 
because it's not necessary. It's not necessary. And it doesn't have to be so hard. And when I think about how much my mother suffered in those final moments, like all alone, just in the dark, you know, just dying there on the side of the road. And I just think to myself, man, you know, if the guy that the guy that killed her had been in his right mind. If he knew that there was another way, if he knew how to process his pain, uh, none of this would have been necessary. And so when I pe- see people suffering, um, I cannot help but try to be helpful and do something. And I know not everybody can afford to work with me. And that's why I have the, the, the weekly free podcast. And it's why I have the, <clears throat> the Sunday spiritual, which I committed to doing for six months. I'm probably going to end it in December. So I'm always trying to think of ways to have also free resources because I know how many people are suffering out there. Um, and, um, it's just my, you know, I always say God calls everybody, not everybody chooses to answer, but when the phone rang for me with this particular individual curriculum, there's no way I could have said no to it. Well, thank you for sharing so much. And so honestly and authentically with us today, it was, it was a lot and it was really, really wonderful to hear somebody just share their story. (laughs) I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, I know it's like, I always laugh because I'm like, it could be so high because these long pockets where like I'm talking, talking, talking. I'm just like, all right, I'm just going to, I'm just trying to like answer the question. So I hope um, there was enough breath and room for you guys to feel like you got to ask what you needed to ask and, and uh, you know, hear what you needed to hear or whatever. Yeah. I think everything you shared was valuable. It's far too often we hear the rah-rah. It's really nice to hear the the real life. So I definitely personally appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, so, in, you so instead much, we guys. heard the raw, raw, like R-A-W. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. Well played. If well I didn't played. get a pun in well the episode. That was well played. I really love that. <laughs> well, Karen, I hope I get to meet you sometime soon. You're fantastic. So thank you for oh joining us Oh my God, today. I would yeah. love it. You guys just put out a thing. You're doing a holiday event or something, right? Aren't you cri- doing uh, yep, some sort we're of doing gathering? a holiday party. I think it will have already happened when we air this podcast, but we're doing a holiday party at the co-working house in Milford for the She Yeah, Built I would love group. to meet you guys. Yeah, I would we've love always to got events going on guys. though, right? There's always something to be a part of. You know, and I'm sure we have a lot of questions out there. Yes. I bet our audience is just chomping at the bit to find out more about Miss Karen. So maybe they could repost this episode and ask some questions to Karen and we can get some follow-up. Karen, would you mind answering some questions personally for no. us? I would love it. I'd yeah. love to, I love to, I would love to do that. And you guys also, do you have, not to be rude and like, if you need to edit this out, you can, but I know you just did that big event that she built this event. Um, do you know when your date for the next one is next year? <laughs> not to put you on the spot. Cause I want to go. Cause I couldn't go to the one this past year. I tell you what, when I know the date, you will be the first to know. Yeah. I'm okay. so excited. <laughs> as long as I get to sit next to her. Okay, maybe we'll see. We can be. We can we'll be friends. We'll see where your we're reserved all, all. seat lies. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank, I would love to come. I'm really excited. Thank you. Thank you for being such a champion for us, and also for joining us. This yeah, was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure, you guys. Thank Thanks. you so much for having me. It's an honor. For more information on the She Built This podcast, you can check us out online at www.shebuiltthis.org. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time.